This is the Flying Field Podcast. The Flying Field Podcast is a service of rcplaneviews.com and the Flying Field blog. This is episode 112, Digital This, Analog That. This episode was produced the week of May 7th, 2012. Hello modelers and welcome to this edition of the Flying Field Podcast. I'm Jim Mohan. The title of this episode is Digital This, Analog That. My pilot prize at a recent flying event were several nice high-tech digital servos. Not having used digital servos before, one of my first steps was to wander down through the vendor area and ask some questions about them. I had a couple of assembly projects in the workshop that I thought the servos would work in, but I was a little unsure about any differences with regular servos. I learned enough from the vendors not to try and trade with some of the other pilots to unload a prize that he or she didn't need, but I needed some more info just the same. If you were like me, you may not be completely sure why you'd want to spend up to twice the dough for digital servos. Well, we'll spend some of our time today getting better acquainted with this variation of the servo. First, some news from the hobby. If you are subscribed to some of the RSS feeds from some of the major RC vendors or magazines, like Model Airplane News, much of what you saw was about RCX in Long Beach, California. There are a lot of videos on YouTube to give you a sense of the show. Remember, RCX includes cars and boats, not just airplanes, so the videos cover all types of RC vehicles. One of the other things I noticed was that the high-tech version of the iPad telemetry display is being advertised now. I checked with the Tower Hobbies website and the interface is listed there as being available in late May or later this month. So if you are using Hitech's HTS telemetry, you may be interested in an extra $50 connector to tie it up with your Apple display. The Horizon Hobby Hypertaxi is also getting some press. RC Sport Flyer magazine has it on its cover of its June edition. This little 3D bullet-shaped mini flyer has the AS3X stabilization system, and it looks like it's pretty popular. As a matter of fact, it shows sold out over at Horizon's website. You may recall the interview I did with the folks from Horizon Hobby at the AMA Expo, where we discussed the AS3X system and then the about-to-be-released HyperTaxi. You can find that interview in episode 110 of the Flying Field podcast. Last for this segment is a notice that was posted this week on the U.S. Postal Service's website dealing with shipping LiPo batteries and products that contain them. You're probably aware that there are some restrictions on shipping LiPos by air. The post office says that beginning May 16, 2012, they will prohibit international mailing of LiPo batteries and equipment that contains them. That, of course, not only means RC LiPo batteries, but 
cordless phones, cell phones, tablet computers and laptops, even many portable power tools. This prohibition applies to all international destinations, including APO addresses. The posting says that the restrictions are due to international regulations and will remain in effect until at least January 2013. So, if you're planning on shipping LiPos or LiPo-powered devices internationally, the post office will no longer be an option after May 16th. As I mentioned in the intro to the podcast, I got some digital servos as a pilot prize and have been doing some research on how they are different from regular analog servos, besides costing a bunch more. Here's a little of what I found out. Let me give you the main points first, and then we'll dig for a little more background and understanding. First, digital servos can be used just like analog servos with no special radio or receiver. Second, digital servos can produce more precise control and strength, or perhaps better said, firmness. And third, some brands can be programmed, giving the pilot extra control in their use. Let's start the digging by reminding ourselves of how a servo works in the first place. The servo consists of a motor, a stack of gears, and an electronic controller. The motor provides rotation and force while the gears provide the necessary control and precision of the movement. In an analog servo, the electronic controller provides a signal to the motor 50 times per second. If you do the arithmetic, that means that each second is divided into 50 20 millisecond segments. The servo wire is connected to the electronic controller. The three wires are power, ground, and signal. The signal wire transmits the signal produced by the movement of the associated control stick through the receiver. A small displacement of the stick will cause the controller to allow a short burst of voltage to the motor. Each burst can be just a fraction of that 20 millisecond segment. A large stick displacement will allow a current to flow for a longer portion of the 20 millisecond segment. The longer the current flows, the more the servo motor moves and the more torque it produces. If this sounds familiar, it should. It's the same way your brushless speed controller works. It is this 20 millisecond period that is the issue with analog servos when they are used where speed and precision are important. A quick movement on the stick won't generate much movement in a servo or much torque. For normal sport flying, or your little park flyer, that's no big deal. For a helicopter or 3D airplane, it's a different story though. In the helicopter arena, when you realize that the onboard gyro is sending hundreds of signals per second, a bunch of them will get lost if the servo is working at only 50 cycles per second. There is another term we need to define at this point. The area where the stick is making lots of small adjustments and the servo is not responding much to the reason I just mentioned is called the servo's deadband. That is the area where small stick movements aren't translated into movements by the servo. When precision is critical, a large deadband is bad. So, how do digital servos make a difference? The fact of the matter is that most of the servo components 
are the same in digital and analog servos. It's what's not the same that makes the difference. In this case, it's the electronic control. In a digital servo, the electronic control circuit contains a microprocessor. The microprocessor does the same job as the electronic logic chip control, but with much greater frequency. Instead of 50 pulses per second, the digital servo divides that one second into 300 segments, each with its own voltage surge based on the stick movement. This allows the servo to speed up more quickly and provide more firmness in the form of more constant torque. One of the significant advantages of this high-frequency control is that the deadband is significantly reduced. You can get a sense of this by plugging in one of each kind of servo into a powered receiver and applying some pressure to the control arms of both servos. The analog servo will move just a little before resisting, while the digital servo will resist right away. What you are feeling is the deadband. There are two more points we need to discuss regarding digital servos. One is power consumption and the other is programmability. Let's start with power. All those 300 power pulses means your digital servos will consume more power than an analog servo. If you are powering your receiver with a receiver pack, you'll need to monitor the pack carefully so you don't run it dry. If you are powering the receiver through a BEC or external BEC, the low voltage cutoff for the motor will trigger before you lose receiver power. You may find that your flight time may be just a tad shorter due to the little power hogs that give you that more precise control. Digital servos from some manufacturers allow you to program the microprocessors on the servo. For example, many digital servos from Hitech allow you to make precise servo speed inputs to assist when using dual servos on the same control surface, or to slow the servo speed down. To change the direction of the servo instead of using a servo reverser device in line or within the radio's programming capability. To set a fail-safe position and finally to adjust the size of the deadband to meet your particular need. Almost none of the inexpensive brands I looked at from several suppliers had servo programmers. I suspect that as digital servos become more and more popular, whether by actual requirements or just the cool factor that the old standbys like the Hitech HS55 or HXT900 micro servos will likely just disappear, giving way to their digital cousins like the Hitech HS5055. The good news is that you can swap them out without any concerns besides dealing with a bit of a higher price tag. Clearly, there is a lot more you can learn about servos and digital servos. For one thing, we just scratched the surface on speed and torque ratings. You'll want to understand their impact on the actual operation of analog and digital servos too. I'll include some links to some helpful articles in the show notes to this podcast. As I mentioned last time, the club I'm a member of held a fun fly and open house this past week. We hadn't had an open house for a couple of years as we've done some other kind of activities. 
We had a great time and enjoyed the company of a number of folks from the local area who stopped by to learn more about RC airplanes and to find out how to enter the hobby. A quick review of the events page over at RC Universe suggests that lots of clubs around the country are planning a wide variety of activities during the summer months. It looks like just about everyone is within striking distance of a fun fly or other RC event. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Flying Field Podcast. Links to some of the products mentioned here can be found in the show notes. Look for them at www.flyingfieldblog.rcplaneviews.com. Click on the podcast category on the right side of the page. This was episode 112. Until next time, happy modeling and fly safe.